0: Um, word of prayer. Father, thanks so much for this day you've granted us. I pray that uh, you teach us your word now um, as we examine this topic. Uh, help us to understand it. And help us to gain a real um, sobering knowledge of the eternal destiny of many other people that we run into every day, Father, people who do not know you. Um, just pray that you would give us a sobering understanding of that. And help us to be even more concerned about reaching them with the good news of salvation before it's too late for them. In Christ's name, amen. Today we're going to be talking about um, the, eternity, the our three-part series, basically three weeks, next three weeks, on the destiny of mankind. Um, we're going to come back and hit some of the notions of sinfulness and original sin depravity in homardiology, which is coming up after this. So they go together. But for now, we're going to spend some time talking about the eternal destiny um, of humanity. Um, God created human, humans, God created mankind to be immortal. Immortal in the sense that you will never die. We all had a beginning. We all started at some point in time. So we're not eternal like God is, right? God had no beginning and no ending. We have no ending, but we had a beginning. And all humans, every human being that has ever lived, is going to live forever some place. When you look at the concept of man's destiny and you look at where man will live forever, there's different views of this that have been um, given down through the centuries. Um, If you look at, for example, some of the Eastern mysticism religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, things like that, there's this thing called Nirvana and the basic idea there is that you want to reach a state where you're reabsorbed back into the impersonal force of the universe. And the way that works is through multiple reincarnations, you get closer and closer and closer to just being reabsorbed back into nothingness. All right? It comes from the philosophical concept of monism, the universe is one substance, we're all part of the same substance, so our goal is to be reabsorbed back into that singular substance of the universe. It's nothingness. It's nirvana is that place of total peace, contentment, non-emotional, just not even, almost not even consciousness. You're just reabsorbed back into the nothingness from which you came. Um, the problem with that is that the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. First Corinthians 15 talks about a resurrection, right? Resurrection and the life. It says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. We cannot inherit heaven in our own mortal bodies. There's going to come a resurrection. Um, throughout the Bible, there's nothing. Here's, here's the point. There is nothing in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, that would say that you're reabsorbed back into nothing. The Bible teaches from cover to cover that you're going to be in one of two places, heaven or hell. This concept of being reabsorbed into nothing is not even in the Bible. It's not even something that is considered. But a lot of people believe that. A lot of people in the world believe this. Um, in Hinduism, you look at some of the things that they go through. You know, we got the holy men who sit around and contemplate their navel all day. What's their, what are they doing? Well, they're trying to be a reabsorbed back into the nothingness of the universe. They want to reach that point. And the idea is as you work your way up through multiple reincarnations, you're going to get closer and closer and closer. And finally, you're going to be able to be a reabsorbed back into the nothingness. There's another concept, and this is a popular one in some cults, Um, restoration or second chance. In other words, the idea there is, okay, if you blew it in this life and you didn't take Jesus as Savior in this life, you'll get another opportunity. You'll get a second chance before you're sent to hell. You'll get at least another opportunity in the life to come. Mormonism teaches this. They teach that after death, provided you're not really bad, they have a very limited, by the way, sense of hell. Not many people go there. You have to work to go to hell in Mormonism. But you'll get a second chance. Um, In fact, they taught that after Jesus was resurrected, he went and preached and taught the spirits who are not yet in hell and gave them another opportunity to believe on him. And if they did so, they will be able to enter a limited sense of heaven. By the way, Mormons have three heavens, celestial, terrestrial, and celestial. Um, And the only way to make it, by the way, up to the celestial heaven is you need to be baptized. That's kind of tough to do when you're dead, Right. So what they do is they do family research and genealogy and you can be baptized in place of someone who's died. So if you find your great-great-grandma Pearl and she died and wasn't baptized, you can go to the Mormon church and pay some money and you can be baptized in her place and she gets to go to the celestial heaven. It's a wonderful money-making opportunity for the Mormon church. Um, There's no second chance. Hebrews 9.27 says what? Anybody know that one? Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto men once to die. Once to die. Now, just as, just, as a, just a short aside here, there's a lot of things in vogue today about people who die and go to heaven and come back and tell us about it. All right. Or go to hell and come back and tell us about it. Have they really been to hell? Do you think? Well, you know, a lot of people debate that. Um Sheila gave me a book, "23 Minutes in Hell," that I read this week. Interestingly, and um, this guy supposedly got a vision. Jesus gave him a vision of hell for 23 minutes. Um, I, I really look at that with some skepticism. All right, and the reason I do that is because, to me, the Bible makes it very clear that, except in limited, in limited situations, death is an irreversible thing. When you go to hell, you don't come back. When you go to heaven, you don't come back. and You won't want to come back. Um, if you were to die today, and God said I made a mistake, you could go back. You say, forget it. I'm staying. I'm not going back. Why am I going to go back and have to work Monday morning? I'll stay here. We're not. You don't come back. Now, can there be certain, you know, hallucinations? Think, yeah, there can be. And you know, I'm not really qualified, probably to. Go into all of the details of that. Could God give somebody a vision of that? Well, Paul, he gave evidently Paul a vision of something, right? We don't know what that is. And Paul couldn't really describe it very well. But it wasn't death, because had it been total death, Paul would not have come back. Alright? So, I, I look with a little bit of skepticism on that, because a lot of times when you look at some of these descriptions of hell and things like that, they really don't, they, they sort of line up with the Bible, but not quite. So is it really what they have seen? I, I would probably have problems with that. Um, if you want to find out what hell is like, the Bible tells you what it is like. We're going to look at what it is like. It gives you the description. And it gives you the description from someone who knows about it because he created it. Christ. He told us what hell is like. But Mormonism basically teaches, look, it's, you, you get another chance. You, you have another opportunity after death that um, if you've blown it in this life, you can get another chance to make it to heaven. Um, and then there's materialism or naturalism. This is the Carl Sagan view, the atheist. When you're dead, you're dead. That's it. When you die, that's all there is. All you consist of is a is a bunch of uh, cells and um, electrochemical impulses in your brain. And when your brain is dead, you go, and that's the end of you, and that's all there is. Um what 's first Corinthians fifteen teaches it teaches us that there is a resurrection doesn 't it so if there 's a resurrection, that means that 's not the end of you. you are not just a collection of body cells and I, you know Dan talked about this you know when, when God created us as humans, he created a material and immaterial part of us, and the immaterial part does not need the material part to stick around all right you, you don 't need that you, if, if your body is, dies, you still exist. You can still think. You can still reason. How do you know that? Well, the rich man in hell, right? Did he have his body? No, but what did he have? His spirit, his memories, right? He knew who his brothers were. He knew who Lazarus was. I mean, he, he, wasn't, he didn't need his brain to have memories. And see, that's a naturalist view. The naturalist view says all your memories are stored in your brain. And if your brain dies, or we can cut out a piece of your brain, we can get rid of your memories. Well, there's a certain sense in, you know, in, we're getting into speculation here, but really what God has done, is God has designed your brain to connect your immaterial part to this planet, right? To this existence, to this world. How, how, how do I know this table is here? Because my body touches it, all right? My fingers are touching this table and my body allows my immaterial part the part that you can't see to interact on this physical plane of existence this world alright and it's the connection and that connection may be damaged it may be destroyed when somebody gets Alzheimer's disease does that mean they lose all of their memories and they can't remember anything their immaterial self just loses it all no because when they die what happens they have their full memories but because their brain is affected, they can't process those memories. They can't connect to this plane of existence. They they can't they can't function in a physical body because the body's damaged, brain damage, things like that. You, you exist on. All right. There's there's. Throughout the Bible, you see that there is no indication anywhere in Scripture that when you're dead, that's all there is. And somebody says, Well, yeah, but what about all those passages in Ecclesiastes, you know, where Solomon basically says, Look, you know, when you're dead, you're gone, and there's no memory, and things like that. Well, the way to understand Ecclesiastes, and you can study this, is that it's written from a perspective. And a perspective that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes was if there's no God, if there is nothing out there, then what is life all about? Vanity, right? You work your whole life, you save all this money, you die, and somebody else gets it who doesn't deserve it. That's vanity. And quite honestly, it's better to be a, a live dog than a dead lion. Because at least a live dog is alive. The lion's dead. It's from the human perspective. That's what he's writing from. It's not, he's not writing from a theological perspective. He's writing from a human perspective. If, if you're thinking like Carl Sagan thinks... Or he thought in life. He doesn't think that way now. But in life, he thought this way: when you're dead, you're gone. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, you're going to die. Have at it. What are you doing here? Go home. Go, go, go. Have some fun. I mean, if this life is all there is, you're stupid to be here, right? That's what Paul says. If, in the, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, you're all meant to be pitied. You're giving up a lot of fun for nothing. The Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches that we live forever. And there's an important um, it's important to know where we're gonna spend that forever. There's another concept called annihilationism, and I'm just tossing these things out. We're gonna come back and visit a couple of these. Annihilationism is starting to gain traction in evangelical Christianity. And basically the idea here is that look, you know, God is a God of love. You know, he's not gonna create a hell that has people forever suffering in it. He's just not gonna do that. I mean, God's too loving to do that, come on. You're telling me God's going to create a place where He's going to torment somebody for eternity? What kind of God is that? What kind of God of love is that? Well, remember back to theology proper. Where do we find out what we want to know about God? Where do we get that? God tells us, right? We don't don't try to figure out God using our pea brain, right? Because we get the wrong answer. You want to find out what God is like, you go to the Bible and God will tell you what He is like. And what has God told you? He's just, and he says in Revelation 14, the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. All right. Can you torment something that's not conscious? No. This should not even be a debated issue. This should not even be debated. And yet there are some people, John R. Stott, I don't know if you ever read some of John R. Stott's work, but he falls in. Clark Pinnock, if you read anything about Clark Pinnock, burn it. All right. But (laughs) he's bad bananas, all right? But he, I heard him um, debating Erwin Lutzer on Moody Radio on the eternality of hell, and he he denies it. And you ask him, well, why do you not? Well, I just don't think God would do that. And I said, well, what makes you, where do you get that? I mean, the Bible says very clearly what God is going to do. Well, I just don't think that's what it means. Well, good for him. Um, The Bible says that there is an eternal, eternal. no, oh, Revelation fourteen nine through 11 is the refutation of that. The smoke of their torment ascends up forever and forever in the presence of God and in the presence of the holy angels. And you can't torment something that's not conscious. You can't do it. And then, you know, you also look at the, the account of the Antichrist and false prophet. At the beginning of the millennium, they are cast into the lake of fire. And where are they a thousand years later when Satan shows up? They're still there. And somebody says, well, you know, they're, they're two really baddies, so they're going to have to suffer a little while longer before they're removed from existence. No, 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 no. Hell is an eternal place. It's not something that you go and you get out of. When you go there, you stay there. You don't get out of it. And it's an eternal place of consciousness, of torment, of memory. It's a place where God is just. You want a God's justice, you're going to get it.
1: That almost
0: sounds like the Catholics of purgatory. Um, n- yeah, no, not purgatory. It's sort of like that, but not quite. In this case, you go out of existence. The idea here is that you go down there, you suffer for a while, and then you're burned up. Armstrongism, by the way, believed this. Um, if you remember that old cult, Armstrongism, they believed that you would go there, you would suffer for a short time, and then you would be burned up and go out of existence, and that'd be the end of you. All right. There's also the concept of soul sleep. Uh, Seventh day Adventists believe this. Um, basically, what it does is when you die, the next conscious thing you have is you wake up at the judgment. So you die, you wake up at the judgment. When you get your body, you wake up at the judgment and you go to heaven or hell depending on the judgment. All right, There's no intermediate conscious state between the time of your death and the time of your final judgment. What's the uh, refutation of this? Well, the refutation of this is a couple. Luke 19, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? Was the rich man conscious? Well, of course he was. Was Lazarus conscious? Of course he was. There's no indication there that they were sleeping until the time of judgment. And also in Philippians, finding the right page. In Philippians 1, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Does that sound like soul sleep? I think she's got the pages
1: scrambled. Don't worry.
0: The pages are scrambled, so just go through there until you find the right page. Um, yeah, it's it's there, um, but soul sleep. This this is a popular popular um, concept with Seventh-day Adventism, all right. But again, the Scripture teaches that when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. What
1: were you saying
0: about soul That's the that's the passage which says absent from the body, present with the Lord.
1: second yeah.
0: But Paul, in, first, in Philippians 1.23, it's uh, for me to... Be, um, no, let's look at Philippians 1.23. No, no, no. Read it. I am um, torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it
1: is more necessary for you to think that I remain in the body.
0: Yeah, Paul desired to depart and be with Christ. And fight. I think you're, Sammy's right. 5 eight is to be absent from the body. Is to be present with the Lord.
1: 5.8. 5, 5, 8.
0: 5, 8. Um, Paul looked forward to dying and being with Christ. And by the way, Christ told the thief on the cross today, you will be with me in paradise. doesn't sound like the guy's going to sleep for a few thousand years until he woke up at the final judgment. So no, that that's not really taught. And then there's the concept of purgatory. Um, purgatory is the Catholic concept where provided you do not die with a mortal sin. And what is a mortal sin? A mortal sin is a sin that kills grace. If you are a murderer or something like that and you die, you go to hell. But if you've not done that, if, you're, if you die in what they call a state of grace, in other words, you're a good Catholic in their theological system, then you go to a place called purgatory. And you hang around in purgatory for, a, you know, it could be a few days to a few million years, depending on you know, what you've done in life. And uh, you will work off your personal sin. The sins that you committed in life that were not confessed to the priest and not um, forgiven by the priest. You're going to die and you'll have to pay for those yourself. And that's why in the Catholic Church they light candles for the dead. They pray for the dead. um, They have masses for the dead. All of that stuff are means to speed the person in purgatory on their way to heaven. That's the whole concept. And by the way... I'm convinced that's the engine that drives the whole Catholic system. Why do Catholics do good works? They do good works so they don't have to spend a whole lot of time in purgatory. All right, they want to—they don't want to stay there very long. Um, and they have different, thing, you know, the, the Pope is able to in Catholic system to dispense merit to those souls in purgatory and let them get out a little sooner if he wants to. Um, I have a Bible to do a version that says if you read this. The, the Bible every day for 100 days, you're going to get a purgatorial indulgence of I don't know how many years off purgatory by reading the Bible. Um, of course they do. Wow. you got to understand. I thought
1: this was just something, because I was raised Catholic, and I, don't, I mean, I had heard of this, but it was something
0: that was done back in the day. Nope. And I'll tell you, I, when, I, when I say this, people say, well, I know Catholics who don't believe that. Look, bag that idea. You don't go there. If you want to know what Catholics believe, you go ask the Pope. And um, there's a there's a channel called Family Land, I think it is on on TV. And uh, I just just two weeks ago, I recorded a program on Purgatory from one of the cardinals who reports to the Holy Father. He's the cardinal that is in charge of their theology, and he gave the theology of Purgatory exactly like I've been telling you here. That is the official position of the Catholic Church. It is not. I'm not making it up, and and again, when you go to when you go to Europe, you get a whole different brand of Catholicism than you see in the church down the road. Yes, Um, only only except by special special dispensation, do you escape purgatory? They even say that it's quite possible. When John Paul II died, he had at least take a detour through purgatory on his way to heaven. All right, in in Catholicism, you are not sure of going to heaven. Unless, unless there's special revelation given to you, you are not assured of ever going to heaven first. Not no, no, no matter how good you are. all right. You will probably have to spend at least a little bit of time in purgatory. And when you walk over and you go to Europe and you see these massive cathedrals with thousands of candles burning in them for souls in purgatory, and you walk down um, Notre Dame Cathedral and you have little alcove after alcove of priests doing masses for the dead, and you walk to the reliquary where you can drop in five euros and get a hundred years off purgatory by visiting the slivers of the cross that they have there, you'll understand that Catholicism has not changed. It's not. Just a of curiosity. How, how do they reconcile
1: that with the fact that, I mean, according to that, it sounds like you're thinking your own sin. How do they
0: reconcile that with the fact that Jesus paid for it? Jesus paid for your original sin. He did not pay for your personal sin. He paid, for, he paid for your original sin. And, and I don't want to give a theology of Catholicism, but in Catholicism, when you are baptized as a baby, your original sin is removed. And you have, so, so you're in a state of grace. Provided you do not commit a mortal sin which kills that grace, and they define what those mortal sins are. All right. Provided you do not do that, and you die in a state of grace, then you have to pay for your own sin through purgatory, where you go through a state of purging after which point you can go to heaven. So
1: they don't
0: have, they don't have salvation. Yo. Jesus Christ started it, but He didn't finish it. And that's why, you know, in so- Catholicism, there's a salvation by works. You have to do certain things. And you have to go through the rites of the church, and those rites like Mass and, um, you know, the penance and all that, they, they give you a, like a dose of grace. And you keep getting these doses of grace, and the idea is you have got to die with as much grace as you can, so your years in purgatory are few instead of many.
1: Yeah, they do, and, and they do. And
0: I, I have the I have the, the cardinal doing that, and he does a lot of whiz bangery with the text kind of thing. Um, but they take a couple of passages out of context, and really, the one package, passage they really use is out of the Apocrypha, Maccabees. It's out of the apocrypha, which we reject, which was really the sort of the the basic point of their belief in purgatory. The point here, and I don't want to get too deep into this. This is not anywhere talked about in Scripture. Period. End of this. It's not there. It's not there. It's just not there. But in Catholicism, it doesn't matter whether it's not there because the Church teaches it. Therefore, it has to be true. And that's that's the view. Original sin. Jesus died for their original sin, which in their system, when a baby is baptized, that, baby is, that baby's original sin is removed. That's why it's a big thing in Catholicism to get your babies and children baptized. Because if they are dying in an unbaptized state, they don't go to heaven, they go to limbo. That's a whole nother theology. Yeah, and, and, and in their in their system to, to to get rebaptized is to to really have to deny the 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 value of that original baptism. But I don't want to get too far into the theology. Just let me. You can go research this on your own. You don't have to take my word for it. You go find this out on your own. But when you want to find out what, something, what a system of theology believes, you don't go to a neighbor that, that's into that. You go to the official teachings of that religion. You don't go, if you want to know what Mormonism teaches, don't ask your Mormon neighbor. Go look at the LDS website. Read their theology. That's where you go. It's just like if, you want to, if somebody wanted to say, you know, what do you Baptists believe? If they got all of us in it, they probably wouldn't know what really we believe. Because some of us don't know everything yet, right? You want to find out what what a faith is. You want to find out what... You go to the official teachings of that. Not to individuals who necessarily may be members of that or in that. Alright? So you don't believe that they're going to heaven? No, I don't. Really? You're telling me that if you believe that you're saved by baptism and that your ultimate salvation depends on you doing good works by going to Mass, by... Praying to Mary by praying to saints that you're going to heaven.
1: There,
0: Jesus Christ alone. I yeah, it's Christ alone, and in Catholicism, it's not Christ alone. Well, have to do
1: that,
0: that right, and, and and let me understand. Let me say it. Are there some Catholics that are truly born again? Yes, there are. This is not a diatribe and I, I, I hate going and getting on the subject because people say, well, you hate Catholics. No, I don't hate Catholics. The system of theology, the Catholic belief, from the, from the official teachings of the Catholic Church, when you know what they really teach and what they really believe, it is not a saving gospel message. It isn't. It isn't. Are there some in there that are saved? Yes, but the message, the system is apostate to the core. It's a salvation by works, by your own effort, by, your, by what you do. Yeah,
1: did he, he didn't get baptized. <laughs>
0: Believe, and that's what the Bible, and that's what the Bible says again, and again, and again. How are you justified? You're justified by faith. What is justification? To be declared righteous. Official Catholic teaching says justification is a process. Is a process that that you are being justified. You're not justified. You are being and provided you don't mess that up, you'll ultimately get there, but you can mess it up if you die with a mortal sin. Not to
1: sure you <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, you be the dead person, but. I got a picture of this. I'm learning things. Okay, you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God.
0: Yes. And
1: he came to die on the cross for your sin. Yes. But.
0: then you're not saved. Right. When, at the start. At the start. I, I Oh, geez, you know I don't want to spend all the time on this. Um, <laughs> but if you come if you come to Christ thinking that I've got to believe in Him as my Savior and I've got to do this, 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 and this, you've got a problem. I, I think there's
1: a difference in... You understand...
0: Yeah. Rituals don't get you there. Right, right. And and that's the difference here. Now, if you come to Christ by faith alone, right? Why the Galatians, the Galatian Christians. Remember in Galatia? How do they come to Christ? By faith, right? Paul says that. He says, You came to Christ by faith alone. Now you're doing all of these works to stay saved. That doesn't make any sense. How can you how can now how 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 having been justified in the by faith, you're now kept by works. That doesn't make any sense. So can you be confused after salvation? Yes, you can. But if you come to Christ saying, I want to take Christ as my Lord, I want to take Christ as my Savior, but I've got to be baptized, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to go to the Mass, I've got to say the prayers, I've got to do whatever it is, you're not, you're not coming by faith alone. You get You understand? It's, it's faith alone. It's not Christ and, it's Christ. It's not faith plus, it's faith.
1: And it's not just Catholicism. It's, it's, it's others. Because I was raised in a, it's certainly not Catholic at all, but with that overall mindset, that original sin is what Christ died for, but you're still going to go to hell if you were to sin and didn't ask forgiveness for it and Jesus came back before you ask forgiveness, you're going to
0: hell. Yeah, and, and some, that's some of the, um some, not all, but some of the the Wesleyan Nazarene traditions have a little bit of that. I don't want to, she knows the theology of the Nazarenes a little bit, but, but there are some, and I know some, I think Westlands, that, that basically say, you know, if you if you commit a whole lot of sin after you're saved, you can lose your salvation and not get to heaven you know, because you, you haven't confessed it. And I, I don't want to get too much into that because we're going to cover all that later. It's just that when we look at destinies, there, there are millions of people in this world who believe when they die, they're going to go to purgatory. And they're going to hang it out there for a while, for years, days, months, millions of years, whatever, until they're purged of their sin after which they get to go to heaven. That's what they believe. Yes, and that's why when you go to to Europe and you go to the massive cathedrals with the burning candles, that's what they're there for. That's what they're there for, in order in order to to you know you burn a candle in the memory of somebody, they they get a few years off purgatory. If you have a mass set in their name, like a a, a you know sometimes you see. A, um, in Catholic funerals where they have a mass for the person who died, that's to knock some years off the purgatory sentence. And, you know, it, it's it's a whole system that they have there. But you pay for that. You pay for that. You pay for that. And that keeps, them, that keeps the church afloat. <laughs> it keeps the people living slaves to the dead
1: people. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and the wonderful thing, I'll tell you what the wonderful thing is, folks. The wonderful thing is when you understand the gospel, you come to Christ by faith alone, you're forgiven of your sin, it is freeing. You're not in bondage. oh, oh if, I, if I commit a sin, I, you know, he's going to beat me with a border. I mean, I don't want to sin, but I'm not afraid anymore. I, I'm not fearful, I'm not, I'm not changed to rituals and... Regulations, you know, that's that's a bondage. And Paul talks about the bondage in Galatians. He says, having been freed from the bondage of the law, you now want to go back and live under the bondage of the law. What's wrong with you people? You want to go back to that? You want to go back to slavery to the law? No, you're free. Just out of
1: curiosity, your don't know.
0: I don't know. But you can't. You can't. I know. I know when we went to Notre Dame Cathedral, you know they had a guy there, you know several priests, and and you would pay so much money to have a mass done in in the name of someone who who died, that would you know help them out. Now, if you have a lot of relatives, that can be an expensive proposition, right? But um, let's go on from there. I don't... Four slides, thirty minutes. We're dead. Um, I got thirty-two slides. Uh, limbo is another place, and this this is uh, this comes from Catholic theology as well. Where well, what what happens if a baby dies and is not baptized? You know, the, you know, the baby has not yet had an opportunity to commit personal sin. Um, the baby's not committed a mortal sin, but the baby's not been baptized either. So what happens? So they have this thing called limbo, and the baby goes there and sort of that's that's where the baby's going to be forever, basically, until they they grow up and they're trained and it's a complex theology. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but they had to come up with this category because what do you do about babies who have not been baptized? And by the way, when you get your baby baptized in the Catholic Church, you have to pay for it. Alright? And and also the priest checks to see if you've been a good Catholic or he won't do it. Well, that, that's sort of bad, isn't it? I remember a friend of mine in... Uh, at work, uh, he, his child was born, he had to get the baby baptized, and he had the awfulest time because he wasn't really a good practicing Catholic and didn't go to the masses all of the time. They had records of him going to the masses and all of his contributions to the church, and he almost even didn't his child baptized. That, that, that's, that's what the system is like, folks. You're telling me that as a priest, you're going to consign a baby in your theology to a place of limbo because his parents wouldn't pay to have a baptism done. If you really believe that.
1: So between baptism and bingo,
0: that's where their money comes from. That's it. Um, Matthew 18:10, "Christ, suffer the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of God." What did David say? I'm not going to go to my child my I mean my child's not going to come to me, but I'm going to go to my child. Remember the child that died with Bathsheba? the the, the child and there's nothing in the Bible that says God's going to send babies to limbo it's not even taught anywhere in scripture it's just something that they had to come up with to make their theology work yeah that's that we'll talk about that but no I don't believe that reincarnation what's that that's a lot of Eastern mysticism well, when you die, you're born again. You're born in a new body. And the idea of reincarnation is this is the engine that gets you working your way up sort of the, the nirvana scale until you can hit nirvana. You've got to work your way up. So, you know, you can't. the idea here is one lifetime is not enough. You can't learn enough in one lifetime to hit nirvana, so you've got to have a thousand of these or a million of these. And this is really popular in the New Age, if you ever read some of Shirley MacLaine's stuff? You can find out how wacky she is, um, where she's been reincarnated. and they—they they actually, I'm not making this up. You can go to Hollywood, and you can go under hypnotism, and find out about your past lives. and Find out what you did. And I guess at one time, I'm not making this up, she was a monkey that saved the life of Buddha. And that's why when she died as a monkey, she was reincarnated as a person. That's Shirley MacLaine. I'm not making it up. Um, that, that's the wacky kind of stuff that you have. Hebrews 9.27, you die once. There's no reincarnation. You're not going to come back on the wheel of life. You live once. You die and you face eternity. So what does the Bible teach about immortality? That's the false views. That's all the false views. That's all the kinds of different theories that mankind humankind has come up with through religions and all that through the centuries. What does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible teaches that men live on after death in one of two places, heaven or hell. That's it. There's no limbo. There's no soul sleep. There's no unconscious state. There's no annihilationism. You are going to live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. Every human being is going to be in one of those two places. You do not cease to exist at death. You live on. Your soul is on. God created your soul immortal. You're going to live on forever. And when you look at some of the clear passages on this, and we talked about these, I would suggest you read them. If we read them in class, we'll never get done. Luke 16, you have the rich man and Lazarus. This was um, Some say it's a real story, some say it's a parable, but what you have is a man who died and went to hell. And he was conscious. He knew he was there. He knew he was suffering. He knew he deserved to be there, by the way. And he didn't want his brothers to come there with him. He was conscious. There's no indication he was sleeping or unconscious or having a bad nightmare. Hebrews 9.27, again, it's appointed unto men once to die. After that, the judgment. Philippians 1.20-23, Paul has a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Far better than where we're at. And probably the second scariest passage in the Bible is Revelation 20, 11 through 15. What's that? That's the great white throne judgment. To me, that's the second scariest passage in the Bible. The first scariest is coming up here in the next slide, I think. The second scariest passage in the Bible says that, that John said, I saw a great white throne, and one set on it, from whose face the heavens and the earth fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before him." And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the book according to their deeds, and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire, which is the second death. There's the final judgment. Every lost person that has ever lived in, in humanity, ever lived in, in history, someday is going to stand before that great white throne. And God's going to open up the books on them. What are those books? We're going to talk about those books. They're the records. God has records. God has written down what that person has done, what that person did in their life, every deed that they've done, every sin that was committed, every act of selfishness. It's all going to be there. And you're not going to be able to stand and say, well, I'm going to talk my way out of that one. Uh Uh-uh. You're not going to be able to talk your way out of anything. Because not only has God recorded the deeds, but what else has He recorded? Your thoughts. Your motivations. Why did you do it? And the Bible says everything is laid bare and open and naked before him. God, God sees the heart. There's, you're not going to be able to bamboozle the judge of the universe. It's all going to be laid out there. You're going to be without excuse. And then he's going to look at the book of life. What's that? That's the book of the elect. That's the book that contains the names of every human that has ever been born that is a citizen of heaven. Your name is, by the way, in that book. If you're a believer, your name's there. There's going to be a search made for the name, and if your name is not there, guess what? You get the lake of fire forever. And there's no escape. You don't get your way out of it. You don't escape. It's eternal. And there, there's. You're, you're immortal. You're, you're, you're going to live there forever in this place of torment. But everybody's
1: not going
0: to be at great No, not everybody's going to be there. So,
1: why
0: would you have the life there? As a final. As a final Um, you want to call it a final piece of evidence that you you do not belong. And understand this, and we're going to talk about this in in great detail. We're going to debate this in the class. And you're going to get mad. Some of you are going to get mad when we're debating this election business. But all I'm going to do is try to say, well, you know, what does the Bible say about this? That book contains the names of all the elect. Those are the people who believed. But if your name is not in there, you can't say, well, it's not fair... That you didn't put my name there because God can say you never you never made any opportunity you never tried to find out about me you you never made any and there are going to be people there that have rejected him I've talked to people in my life that have rejected Christ they said I don't want him I don't want him and they're not going to be they're not going to be able to say well you know it's your fault you didn't elect me God's going to say you never wanted me even when you were given the opportunity you didn't want me and and the Folks, the only way you can sort this out in your mind is to realize if somebody is in hell, Somebody's going to the lake of fire, they go there because they have chosen that path. They have chosen that path. They, they did not want Christ. That's the only way. Because you're going to get confused and bothered if you don't understand that. There's two parts to this side, and we're going to talk about them. If we start this now, we'll never get through this stuff. But there are two sides to this. Understand, if people go to hell, they go there because they have personally rejected Christ.
1: Um, i uh, that not going to be there,
0: and, I'm just the text, and it says that all the dead come back to see the people. Death and Hades. Who's in Hades? We're going to talk about that. Hades is a contemporary place of the lost.
1: Right,
0: That's the second death. There's two resurrections. There's the first resurrection, of life. There's the second resurrection, which is this one. We are part of the first resurrection.
1: We'll sort it out.
0: We'll sort it out. Okay? No, we will. We will. We'll sort that out. Understand there's two resurrections. There's the first resurrection of the redeemed. We're part of that. We will not stand before the great white throne. We are redeemed. We're part of the first resurrection. This is the second resurrection.
1: Okay. Okay, so all those who are redeemed already don't have... They're not going to stand there.
0: They've already—they're—they're they're, they're not going to be there. Right. The redeemed will not stand there. Is that clear? It up? Confusing? Yeah. You're not going to stand there. If you have come to Christ, if you've believed in Jesus, you're your Lord say, if you're redeemed, you will never stand before the great white throne judgment. You will never be there.
1: Before you switch to the next slide, the Luke six.
0: Issue. Is that sixteen it or nineteen? I always is, get those it passages is backwards. No,
1: that's yeah, right, it is okay. 15. The thing I'm trying to spit out is when you said your it, it could be a parable, it could be real. Uh, I was taught that a parable uses language like a certain man, yeah. But when it's a named situation, it's real.
0: I didn't get the that, I, and to be honest with you, it, it is debated. It is is it's. Um, I, I listen to. Even John MacArthur changed his view on this. Is that right? Yeah, he thought he used to think it was real, and then he, he, the more he studied it, the more he thought it was a parable. It doesn't matter whether it's real or a parable. What's it saying? It's the the truth. You don't want to go there. <laughs> That's the big picture, right? The big picture is hell is not a place you want to be in. So whether it's real or whether it's a parable, doesn't matter. It's teaching a, a some, something about this place of eternal torment that you don't want to go to. All right, it's Luke 19. I always get them I don't know. I have a mental block on that yeah. passage. Okay. It's 16 or 19, one of them. All right. Um, now, when you look at immortality, let, let's, let's, we'll come back and... and um, it, it sounds a little confusing, but follow through on this. I want to talk about immortality as far as in, in sort of the Christian kind of viewpoint. I don't know. All right, it's one of those, 16 or 19. Some say, and even Christians, like there are some, um, 16,
1: 19?
0: All right, that's why, I get, that's why I get all confused. Some say that when you, if you are an unbeliever and you die, you immediately go out of existence. There is no final judgment for you. You just, that's the end of you. I like it. hush. There's some that teach that that when you die, you just go meet. you know would you tell Pat I have something for her? Pat wash? Okay. Yeah. Um when you die, you mean if you're if you're not a Christian, you just go out of existence. All right, that that's the end of you. There's no final judgment. Um some say no, everybody goes to heaven because God's God of love, everybody's going to ev- ev- eventually get there. Um and it's interesting cuz a lot of like, you, you see our, some of these near death experiences, you know, where you read, like, Ram and Moody, Elizabeth Kubler Ross has done some things, um, where they interview people that's supposed to have had these near death experiences or out of body experiences. And they talk about the being of light that, that fills them with love, and they're just happy, and they can't wait to die and actually see this being of love. And there's no mention of Christ, gospel, repentance, salvation, nothing. They, they, they're people out there that believe that everybody gets there you know you die and provided you're not really 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 bad everybody goes to heaven it's a workspace kind of thing yeah yeah who's an angel of light Mm -hmm. some there are some that talk about postpone universalism what does that mean well you sleep until the final judgment and then you get to heaven everybody gets there it, and by the way, Unitarian Universalists believe that everybody's going to get to heaven. I talked to a lady that was a Unitarian Universalist, and she said, well, everybody's going to eventually get to heaven. Everybody's going to eventually make it. Because God is a God of love, and He's going to eventually just make sure that even Hitler makes it to heaven. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, she died of cancer a couple years back, and she's probably in hell. But she did not believe in Christ. Postponed annihilationism, what happens... Um, the dead are, ju- are punished for a while. They may suffer for a while. And then at the final judgment, they just go out of existence. They're just, that's the end of them. Um, Jehovah Witnesses believe this. John Stott, Seventh-day Adventist, And a lot of, it's making inroads into evangelicalism where some supposed Christian teachers are saying, hell is not an eternal place anymore. Another spin, on, notice all the spins on this. I'm not trying to make them confusing, but there are people that believe all of this kind of stuff. That's why I'm putting it up here. Um, second chance, you get in second chance. Uh, this is the one we're going to talk about. What's the orthodox view? When you die, you immediately know where you're going to spend eternity. You're going to be in heaven or hell. And there's no, no detours along the way. There's no holding places. You're going to be in one of two places immediately. Heaven or hell. Now let's look at this passage. I want to spend some time here. To me, this is the scariest passage in the Bible. Right here, this is even worse than Rome Revelation.
1: There was no page. I said, like, All right.
0: The, the notes are missing a page, so. But let's look at Matthew seven. Let's, let's turn to that. Let's Matthew seven. Um, To me, this is by far... If someone said, Schaefer, what's the scariest passage in the Bible to you? The scariest passage is Matthew 7. So well, what about Revelation 20? Revelation 20 is not scary because most of the people there know they're going to hell. This is the, this is the scariest passage. Christ is... Uh, this is the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And um, what is Christ saying on the Sermon on the Mount? He's saying, here's the characteristics of the person... Who's going to be in the kingdom of God? You want to be in the kingdom of God, heaven? Here's your characteristics. And right at the end, he makes this statement here. In uh, Starting in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are... You. What do you have? What Christ is doing is he is he is. Notice as he worked down through this passage, the either ors. The either ors. Christ does not say there's a whole bunch of gates. Pick one. He's saying there are two gates. There's the narrow way. What's the narrow way? It's constricted. It's hard to get through. Think of going through the the turnstile at Cedar Point. You can. One person at a time can fit through. You can't bring baggage with you. You can't bring anything along with you. It's, it's, it's a very constricted, very hard, very narrow way to get in. What's the wide gate? Well, that's broad. Anybody can be on that one. I mean, you, you know, it doesn't matter. And I think metaphorically what Christ is talking about here is when it comes to the gospel, the gospel is very restricted, isn't it? The Gospel doesn't say, look, you know, as long as you believe in Jesus, you're okay. You know, what you believe about Him is irrelevant. Just as long as you believe in Him, you're sort of okay. That's what some people teach. The Bible says the the Gospel is a very narrow, very, you want to call it bigoted way of seeing things, right? Christ is saying, I'm not one of many ways, I'm the way. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's a lot of other things out there, but there's only one way in. The way is the narrow way, the narrow gate. And many people go by that. They don't want to go in the narrow gate. They'll go in the broad gate. What's the broad gate? Well, you know, believe what you want, you know. Um, if you mean well, you'll get there. Uh, if you believe in Jesus, you'll get there. You know, as long as you're not a bad person, you'll make your way there. It's a broad way. It's, it's, there's no restrictions on it. There's nothing... That, that you can take anything you want, you can believe anything you want you can, it's open minded it's the open minded way and he says there's two roads. what road is that well there's a really easy path what's the easy path? It doesn't cost you anything right? Believe what you want, live the way you want, do the things you want. all right, maybe you have to do a ritual here, a ritual there, but by and large, you know you'll be okay. you just just start to do your own thing what's the narrow way? The straight way. Well, that's tough. That's hard. That's, You've got to do some climbing on that one. You gotta, the road is rough. It's not well paved. It's not smooth. It's a little difficult. It's not easy. There are two roads. And then there are two groups. What's the two groups? Well, there's the few and the many. Many people find the broad way. They, that's, that's easy. I mean, the world is full of people who are thinking they're on their way to heaven. Then there's the narrow way. There's not a lot of people on that road. It's a costly road. It's hard. It's difficult. You have to deny yourself. You have to give up. You have to be bigoted and narrow-minded to be on that road, that Jesus is actually the only way to God. But there, there are two roads. There are two paths. There are two groups. And then Christ talks about two prophets in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. They look like the prophet. What did the prophet wear in the Old Testament? Wool. Wool. These are prophets that... And by the way, these prophets are at the head of the gates. The picture here is they have prophets at the head of the gates. And they're saying... This is the way to God. And, and if, you, if you're standing there metaphorically thinking, you're standing there and looking at, you've got a narrow gate over here that says this way to heaven. And you've got a big broad gate that says this way to heaven. It doesn't say this way to hell. And the prophets who are saying, hey, come on on this road, it's, we've paved it, it's really easy, it's, it's, it's a smooth ride for you. They're saying, we're all on our way to heaven. We're all going to heaven. You know, the picture here is not Christ saying, here's a, here's a gate that says heaven, here's a big gate that says hell. Pick one. Both say heaven. Both say this is the way to heaven. The Mormons that come to your house and knock on your door, are they saying, we're going to hell, we want you to go with us? The Jehovah Witnesses that come to your door, are they saying, we're going to hell, we want you to come with us? No. They all think they're going to heaven. Your Catholic neighbor who who does the Catholic traditions and 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 goes to the masses and prays the rosary and prays the Mary and prays of the saints and venerates Jesus and all that stuff are they saying we're going to hell? We want you to go with us? They think they're going to heaven, and that's what Christ is saying here. There, there's two gates, there's two groups, there's two prophets. All of them saying there's going we're going to heaven. The problem is not all the, the ways don't reach to heaven. There's only one way that reaches to heaven, the narrow way. And then there are two trees. What is that? Well, the, the metaphor here is you've got two trees. How do you know which prophet is the right prophet? How do you know, standing at the gate, okay, should I go that way or that way? How do I know what prophet to listen to? Well, you will recognize them by their fruits. And, and he's saying, do you gather grapes from thorn bushes? Well, that's absurd, right? You don't gather grapes from thorn bushes. You gather grapes from from vines. You gather figs from thistles, weeds. No, you gather them from a fig tree. So every tree, healthy tree, bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. How do you know which prophet to listen to? You look at the fruit. What is the fruit of their life? And in the Bible, what is fruit? Fruit is godly. Attitudes, godly living. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. The fruit is also um, leading souls to Christ. Christ even talks about how, how, as a Christian, do you bear fruit? You need to abide in the vine, right? And he's saying all you need to do is look at what kind of disciple, what kind of person is this thing producing? What's their life like? They, they sort of look like it, don't they? but is it? Is it but you're almost saying that there's involved. your your faith is evidenced by your life. The Bible has no concept of a Christian who is a Christian, and you can't figure out whether he's a Christian or not because he's in sin if you're if you if any man be in Christ, he is a New creation. You're not a perfect creation, but you have holy aspirations. You want to do the right thing. You want to please God. You show me someone who, who says, I, I, I'm a Christian because I went forward and I signed the card and you know, I, I prayed that prayer and I hate Christians, I hate church, I hate God, I hate the Bible. You're not a Christian. I don't care what you do. And that's what Christ is saying here. Look at the fruit of their lives. And in particular, he's talking about the Pharisees, right? Because what are the Pharisees producing? Children of hell, right? That was a no-brainer back then. But he's saying you got two prophets, and one prophet says, this is the way to heaven. The other one said, no, this is the way to heaven. How do you know which way is the way to heaven? Look at their fruits. Compare it to Scripture. Find out, you know, are they are they bearing fruit according to the Scripture? If not, you need to, re- to disregard them. Then it says here, this is, to me, this is, by far, this is by far the scariest passage in the entire Bible. There's no passage worse than this. 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's that? But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to get there. There are people today who say they believe in Jesus. They say, I, I believe He's Lord. But how do they how do they do that? Well, they don't do it the way the Bible says. And It says here, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's interesting. You want to know what the will of the Father is? Go to John chapter 6 and Christ tells you what the will of the Father is. What is that? That everyone who sees the Son and what? Believes on Him may have everlasting life. The will of the Father is that you see Jesus as the Son of God, you see Jesus as the only way to heaven and you place your faith in Jesus alone as your way to heaven. That's the will of the Father. And that's what Christ is saying here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord gets in, but the one who does the will of my Father, which is what? Believe on me. Believe who I am. Believe that I am the Savior of the world, that I am the one who's taken your place on the cross to forgive your sins. There's no other way. You don't get to heaven... Coming up with your own idea. That's what, Abel, that's what Cain did, right? I know God wants a blood sacrifice, but you know, the, the vegetables are good enough. That's good enough for him. He'll accept those. No, he won't. God won't. God's told you how, how you come to Him. You want to come to the Father, who do you go through? The Son. You don't get there any other way. Christ said, I am the door of the sheepfold. If anybody comes in any other way, the same as a thief and a robber. You got one way. Yes, that's 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 the gospel message. The gospel message centers around the person and work of Christ. Who is Christ, and what did He do? And if you get those two questions wrong, you're done for.
1: Yes? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right. I mean, I'm not a Presbyterian, but there's a, there are Presbyterians who believe in the Gospel. They're going to heaven. That, that's what it is. The person and work of Christ. That's what it's about. And that's what Christ is saying here. You, you don't get there on your own. And there's going to be people standing at the final judgment who says, wait a minute. I called you Lord. I cast out demons in your name. I did works in your name. And I know I'm going to get in trouble on this, but I think of Mother Teresa. What did she do? She did works in the name of who? Christ. And yet her very statement said that she believes that anyone who is sincere, whether they know who Jesus is or not, is going to make it to heaven. They don't need to know the gospel.
1: I think we get distracted by the perspective of those around us. watchful. Mm-hmm. You don't,
0: you don't know. It's true, you don't know. Yeah. It's true, you don't know, but.
1: But
0: you can tell by the fruit of their life. You can tell by the of their life. But the other thing here, and you just said it earlier, what do they believe about Jesus and the person and work of Christ? If they get that wrong, then you have every reason to doubt, Right? Yes.
1: And and, and that's a
0: good point. Yeah, and and, and that's a good point. I don't want you to think you're saying, well, Schaefer says that she's in hell. I, I don't know for sure. All I can say is... Yeah. Understand... If what I'm saying is, if she believed what she said she believed, she's not believing the true gospel. That's that's. The, you understand that? That's the question. If she believed what she said she believed, Mother Teresa. She she did not believe that you needed to know Jesus as God. That you could be a Hindu, a practicing Hindu, a, a sincere practicing Hindu, and go to heaven. She believed that. All right, and, and I don't want to get on, on that point there. I don't want to go down there too far. I'm just saying, look, folks, whatever you, where, however you look at it, what's this passage saying? There's going to be people standing at the great white throne judgment that are totally confused as to why they're there. Because they thought they had the answer right. They said, we did works in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We done. I called you Lord. And, and what is God going to say to them? I never knew you. Knew you. Because they came some other way. And that's why it's so important, folks. It is so important that we fight for and uphold the centrality of Christ. Of what He did on the cross. Of the salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. There is no other way. There isn't many ways to heaven. There aren't many narrow gates. There's one narrow gate. And if you miss the narrow gate and you get on that broad gate... Even though it says heaven, even though everybody is talking about heaven on the way, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss heaven. And Christ has made it very clear. He says, listen, folks, there are two destinies. There is heaven and there is hell. And you're on the narrow way or you're on the wide way. And you're going to listen to the prophet on the narrow way or the wide way. There is no other way. And Christ is actually here forcing... A decision. At the end, and we'll, we'll close with this, he said, if you listen to what I'm saying and do it, what do you like? You're like a man who built his house on rock. And when the floods came, the house wasn't washed away. But if you're not like that, you're going to build your house on sand. And the rains descend and the floods come, you're going to be destroyed. How are you going to respond to Christ. That that is the central message here. And your eternal destiny is going to hinge on whether you're going to depend on Christ or you're depending on some other broad gate prophet who's saying just believe whatever you want as long as you're sincere, God'll let you in. Doesn't work that way. So, we'll finish this up next week, hopefully. So, let's close in prayer cuz I hear the rabble wanting in. Father, thank you so much for this day you've granted and I pray that you would help us to just really be even more, I don't know, concerned, sobered by the reality there are only two destinies, there are not many. We get so distracted by life, Father, we we fail to realize that every person we run into is going to be in one of two places forever. I pray that we would ponder that truth and it would change the way maybe we conduct our lives and the way we... Relate to people and talk to them. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name, Amen.